So we'll start with the no karmantra. Om namo arihantanam Om namo sitanam Om namo ayariyanam Om namo vajayanam Namo doe sabasahunam Eso panchanamo karo Sarvapavapanasano Mangalalancha sarvesim Paramam havai mangalam Paramam havai mangalam So today we'll talk about Anikantva, which is the theory of multiplicity. And this is probably, the, I think, the most misunderstood thing about Jainism and probably the most misapplied thing about Jainism. What you need to know before we talk about Anikantvad is that there are no such things as facts and there's no such thing as objectivity. And we discussed those previously. What you also need to know about what you also need to know before we talk about it is that Anikantva doesn't mean that nobody can be wrong. Okay? People can be wrong and it's, it's, it's common to have you know, improper knowledge, improper faith, and improper conduct. You can't use Anikantva as an excuse to do anything you want, yeah. which is what people do, yeah. right? <laughs> um, what it actually means is that there... It just means to be humble because there is more, because we don't have all the knowledge. And so, Arikantvad means understand you don't have all the knowledge and be humble about it. It doesn't mean that there's no such thing as being wrong. There's plenty of people that are wrong and there's plenty of things that are wrong. So that's the important thing to understand. So if we want to just take a couple minutes to go back to some of these presumptions, uh, there's no such things as facts. If you tell me it's a fact that Austin is the capital of Texas, I will tell you that, why is it a fact? And you tell me, well, it says so right here in this book. And I say, and I'll tell you, heaven, is it possible that the book's wrong? Yes, it's possible. Well, have you ever seen something wrong in a book? Yes, I've seen something wrong in a book many times. So, you pointing at the book doesn't prove to me that it's a fact, right? And then you say, if I give you another fact, and you tell me, if I say, if you say one plus one is two, that's a fact. And I tell you, why is it a fact? And you say, everybody knows it's a fact. Well, just because everybody knows something, does that make it a fact? And you say, maybe not, but it's pretty good. And I say, well, haven't you ever known something that everybody else thought the other way about and it turns out that everybody else was wrong? And so, yeah, everybody can be wrong about something. Everybody in the whole world can be wrong about something. And so, and, I, and then I'll tell you, well, does that make it a fact? Or, no, maybe it's not a fact. One plus one is not two in binary. One plus one is ten in binary, right? So, uh, so we talked about this before, but it's important to understand our limitations as to what are facts and what are not facts. Um, also, everything, there's no objectivity. So people like to think that they can be objective about things, but they can't because everything comes through our senses and comes through our brain. And there's nothing we can do. We may know a lot about things, and we may know that there are two sides to every issue, and we may know, but we can't overcome the fact that things are processed through our brain and, they, and our brain is subject to all the experiences that we've had. So once you start learning about things like the different biases you have or things like um, how your subconscious affects your decision making and you have no idea about your the decisions that you make, you'll fall into this rabbit hole where you realize that everything is subjective and there's no such thing as objectivity. So it's important to understand those things before we start talking about Anikantvad or the theory of multiplicity. So now the first way, the first thing that um, we need to know about Jainism is a, even before we start talking, again before we start talking about Anikantvad, is these things about substances and characteristics or attributes. 
So does anybody remember how many substances there are in the universe? Six. 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 Very good. Can anybody tell me the substances? Six substances. Pudgal, one. Jeev, two. There may be some more distinction, but all I know is something that's so alive, matter, yeah, matter and energy. Thir, no, not Therian. So Jeev has everything covered, right? Right. Ekindir. Ekindir is all in the Jeev. Jeev, Jeev Pudul, and then... Space is one. Oh, yes. Space. Time is another. The medium of motion is one. And the medium of rest is another. Medium of motion is that... Isn't that space itself? Like you are moving, that's so, the medium, right? So no, so those are two different things. The medium of motion allows things to move, but the space allows things to exist in space. So for example, if you didn't have the medium of motion, you could exist in space, but not move. And the medium of rest allows things to stop moving. Okay, so now everything in the entire universe is made up of these six substances. And these six substances don't change. But what do change are their characteristics or attributes. So for example, if we take Pudgo, the things that are, uh, Pudgo has the attributes of touch, taste, smell, color, and things like that. Um, so now these attributes don't change. That the, the fact that color is an attribute doesn't change. But the colors of things do change. So you can think of it if, if you are a f fond of computer language or computer programming. Color is a variable. And what colors things are can change. But the fact that color is an attribute of Putko doesn't change. So today we're talking about Anikantva. And we're doing a lot of preamble because we need to understand a lot of things before we talk about Anikantva. Um, so just like that... Um, the one attribute of Jeev is knowledge. Uh, and the knowledge that you have changes. Um, actually, it's obscured by karma. But the knowledge that you perceive to have changes. But the fact that it's an attribute of Jeev doesn't change. And the Jeev doesn't change either. So it, a lot of people get mixed up because it's a little bit confusing. But if you think about it as variables that can change, uh, then you'll have the, the right point of view. So, okay, so remember there are two, two kinds of knowledge, pramana or true knowledge and naya, which is a partial point of view. So all we have, mainly what we call knowledge is naya. We only have partial points of view of things. The only people with pramana are liberated souls or souls at the very high end of the spectrum, um, almost liberated souls, okay? Um, because we have very limited perception, right? Um, so as we get more and more naya, partial points of view, we then achieve true knowledge. That is, true knowledge is the sum of all the different partial points of view. And you guys have known this whenever you teach somebody, if you're an engineer or if you're in IT or in medicine, that is, when you teach somebody, you give them little bits of information, right? And then they take the little bits and they memorize some and they understand some. But then when it starts clicking or coming together, they understand the connections between the things, right? And so uh, that's a good way to think about these, these things. Um, so then we talk about, then we come to analysis of truth or nikshepa. There are four ways to analyze if something is true or not. Uh, that is to analyze if something, if you have true knowledge about something. Uh, the first is a name. You refer to the object by the correct name. The second is a symbol, um, means referring to a person through their image, idol, or painting. So when we look at an um, idol at the temple, we project Mahavir Swami onto that symbol. Um, the third is potentiality, or dravya, when you reference an object by its past or future condition. Um, if some, the book has an example, if we refer to a person as a king, if he's not a king, but he's going to be a king. Uh, that is potentiality. And the fourth one is actuality or bhavya, signifying the object in its present condition. 
Um, the book uses an example of an, a king again. When the king is actually carrying the royal scepter and is shining with glory on that account, he is the king, he's acting as the king then. Okay, so that's all preamble to Anekantra. Any questions or comments on that? Is, when you say Pudgal, it means, does it mean matter? Yes. That's matter, right? Yeah. Yes. Anything non-living mm-hmm. uh, is Pudgal. The, before you came in, we talked about the number one misconception about Anikantvad is that it means nothing is wrong. But that's incorrect. Things can be wrong. There's plenty of things that can be wrong. All Anikantvad means is knowing that you don't understand everything and being humble about it. But that doesn't mean that uh, you can use Anikantva to justify anything that you do. Okay, so now let's talk about, do you remember last time I told you that your memories were false unless you understood them from a certain point of view? You remember that? Unless you understand your memories from the point of view of your soul, then they might as well be false because they're leading you in the wrong direction. So same thing here. So it's a complicated kind of idea, but since we already discussed it, it'll be easy for you to understand unless you look at things in the point, from the point of view of their substances and their characteristics, what you, the knowledge that you gain will be false because you don't understand it from the point of view of, well, what is this substance and what am I looking at and what can change and what can't change? That is, if you try to make conclusions based on a viewpoint that is not from that viewpoint, the conclusions you'll draw will be wrong. Okay. <clears throat> so then we, the book talks about the different kinds of knowledge, that, and we've, we've been over that. Um, okay, so then we go on into all stuff we've been, we've been over before. Until we get to, ah, here we go. The causal factors of things. That means, why do things happen? This is a question that we talk about in Patsala a lot, especially when you go through the Patsala system. That is, they don't understand, uh, kids don't understand how karma works, and they want to know it at a very detailed level, like, if I do this, then what amount of karma will I get and what type and what combinations and how long will they last on my soul? And this is important to understand if you want to understand those things. And there's a right answer to each of those questions. Um, <clears throat> so there are five factors that cause things to happen. One is kal, time. The second is svabhav, the nature of a substance. The third is niyati, or fate which is not a great word to use, but okay. The fourth is nimata and prarabdha, prarabdha, which are external circumstances or karma. And the fifth is purshartha, or self-effort or free will. So let's go through that. So remember, we're talking about why do things happen? Why do things happen a certain way? And it's because of, of a combination of these five things. So the first is kal, that is um, the karma that bind to your soul have a certain amount of time before they come to fruition and you can change that in the usual sense. And um, kal determines that. The, um, the, the substance of kal determines that. The second one is svabhav, the nature of a substance. Um, that is, the certain the substances when they take form have a certain nature, which are their characteristics, and they can't go against those characteristics. Um, the book, the the way the book says is that nothing can generate an effect against its own inherent nature, even if all other causal conditions are there. Um, so the qu- these are the answers to the questions why are thorns sharp why do most flowers have beautiful colors why are some animals cruel why does a dog bark it's because that's in its nature 
The third one is niyati or fate. Now, um, there are certain actions that you can take that make it so that you, karma attracts to your soul and you can't burn those no matter what you do because the actions are so powerful or your intent behind them was so powerful. That, that is, they must come to fruition no matter what. And that's called nikachit karma. And so in that respect, that's the only thing that is unalterable. And so if that happens, then uh, that affects why things happen as well. So niyati, which is destiny or fate. Uh, the fourth one is nimata or external circumstances. That is your karma. We, we talked about that quite a bit. That is, uh, we talked about it throughout the entire karma theory chapters. That is how things bind to your soul and how actions can get rid of that stuff. Um, Samvar, Nirjara, and Bandh, right? We talked about those. And the fifth one is self-effort or Purushartha. That is, if you think that karma is all that happens to you, you don't understand correctly, you believe in like predestination or fate. But you can change your karma. And that's what this is uh, talking about. You can perform Nirjara and burn your karma. And then, so that will alter why things happen. So it is these combinations of five things that make things happen in the world. So questions on that. And why is this important to Anikantvad? Is because you need to understand this to understand why there should be a theory of multiplicity. That is, why you should be humble when presented with new, new knowledge. Because if you look at it from this point of view, then you'll start understanding the causal things that happen in your life. For example, if, um, if you have something going on in your relationships, right? So it means that it's your karma at play. It's those, the, that other person's karma at play, which is the factor number four. It's your self-effort, which is factor number five. It's their self-effort. And it's a matter of time between you guys, right? So those three are the predominant causal factors of something that happened between a, a relationship between you and somebody else. So now, so now that we have all that preamble out of the way, we can start analyzing why things happen and why we should look at things from multiple viewpoints. So questions or comments on that? One comment. Yeah. So things can happen uh, and you can analyze and answer the things that happen in this life. Right. But you could have karma from previous lives. Absolutely. That is attached to your soul. Absolutely. And uh, sometimes we have incidents where we have somebody just comes into your life and you know either pains you or takes away from you uh -huh. and you feel like why did that happen you know i didn't do anything wrong i've never known this person right but now with with you know what we have studied i think it could be the, the something that you had attached to your soul mm -hmm. and from previous previous life or lives right and that's either you're paying back or you're, you're receiving fruits of those so that portion will be hard to explain uh why Absolutely. Uh, or analyze it because we just don't remember. Um. Absolutely. And so that's why it's so difficult, right? And that's why it's so hard to accept these things, especially when we talk about all religions have to deal with this problem, right? Why do bad things happen to good people, right? Why are there, in some event, why are there millions of lives lost, you know? And um, whether it be natural disaster or war or genocide or something like that, right? We all have to grapple with this. And this is how we grapple with it. That is, we, if you think about these five things, then it is possible that something like a hurricane could kill a thousand people. It's not an event of happenstance. It doesn't mean that those people were grouped together and they all did something bad in their previous life. Those people, a part of those people could be good people, right? That died and now their next life is going to heaven, right? To experience life as a heavenly being, right? Um, it's not that they're all bad people and it's not that, uh, it's not that, um, in fact, it's not even that their Ayusha karma was said at a certain time, right? Because we know that you can affect your Ayusha karma by committing suicide, right? That you may have a time and then your Ayusha karma says, well, your life is, your, this, the life of this body is over at this time. But if you commit suicide, then it burns more rapidly in your final breaths, right? 
So it's very, it's very difficult to understand that. And it, it may be that we never know the answer to some of those questions. If the answer is, well, I'm paying for this because it happened in a previous life or something like that. We'll eventually know, but we'll, we don't know right now. So who remembers the story of the men, the ten men and the elephants? Can somebody tell me that story? The ten men that never saw the elephant. Right, and blind man. Yes. Right. And one thinks it's a wall, one thinks it's a pillar, and, pillar yeah. and one feels it's a rope. Yeah, the yeah, belly touches tail. the tail. And right. I guess I don't remember it. Can you, can somebody narrate that story? That would be, or if it, I don't know sure. how long it is. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, there were ten blind men, and they came upon an elephant. And one blind man grabbed the leg of the elephant. And he said, an elephant is like a tree trunk. And another blind man grabbed the tail of the elephant. And he said, an elephant is like a rope. And another blind man grabbed the ear of the elephant. And he said, an elephant is like a blanket. So they all looked at, not looked, they all felt different parts of the elephant. But none of them grasped the nature of the elephant because of their limited capabilities. And so that is kind of the quintessential Anikantva story uh, because those blind men are us. That is, what we see and how we experience life, we are blind. Um, And I've been making that point to you for like, what, two years now, right? That is, our perceptions are extremely limited, our brain is extremely limited, and the amount of things we can know are extremely limited. And for us to look out at the world in our limited perception and say, this is the truth, is very presumptuous. And it's, and it's indicative of a lot of hubris on our part to say that we can know something uh, based on, we can know the truth. We know, our, what our, what, we know that we know what our limited perceptions can perceive. Uh, but we don't know the nature of reality. Just like those blind men don't know the nature of the elephant. And it's very hard for us to do that because we're the masters of this world, right? We, we have tamed this world. and We're thinking about taming other worlds if we go to the moon or Mars or whatever. Um, so it's very hard for us to recognize our own limitations. But they are there. And it's only from that perspective can you understand um, other people and you can understand other ideas and you could countenance that okay it's not that everybody's right and that there's nothing wrong it's that you look at things from the point of view of substances and these causal factors and you say okay is there a universe where what you're saying could be right then okay then okay you may be right but if there's not then you're wrong because you're just wrong and that's what Anikantvat is, right? Is you be humble in the face of new evidence and you um, push that evidence, that information through the filter of what you know to be true and you see if that could be true or not. <clears throat> Questions or comments on any of that? So now you see why this is at the end of the book. Okay, because this is like the graduate class of the book because you have to understand so much about what comes before before you understand uh, Anikanfad. And it sounds easy, but it's not easy. And the limited time that we have for me to explain to you, it, it's not easy to try to, to try to tell you everything about Anikanfad. And you have to read the book um, to understand. Did, has anybody opened the book yet at home? <laughs> <laughs> <Unreasonable. laughs> Why Right, right. Um, so you have. To, um, it's important that we try to get out of the rut that we have of every day and start viewing yourself as a soul and doing what is good for your soul, which is opening the book and reading the book. 
which is so hard to do, right? Why is, why is it so hard to open the book? when you Because you have whatever your routine, you go to work, you have breakfast, you come back, you don't have that much free time, you're lucky if you get an hour a day of free time, you know? And so you spend it how you want to spend it, or maybe you like you watch TV, or like, does opening the book even cross anybody's mind? Like, you have the book, I gave you all the book. <laughs> So, so besides science, is there any other way to prove it? Because every time when we ask about the mm-hmm. proof, right, mm-hmm. everybody will go back, including ourselves, to go and say, okay, this is what science says. Right. Is there any other way? To because prove that the, the theory of multiplicity. Or anything, right? Or anything? Anything else, too. So, for instance, even the science is limited. We know that. Yes. You know, not everything they know. Uh, I think as of yesterday, the day before, the Hungarian scientists found the fifth possible force of nature that right. nobody knew about. Right. Yeah, even the physics currently doesn't even call for those. Right. So yeah, we all know the what science is limited. What is the fifth one? So, so the, the currently the scientific, the physics based on certain elements and if you, they all acknowledge that there's a black matter exists but nobody can prove where oh, it is. Okay. Right. And this Hungarian scientist team since 2014 I think they've been trying to find a way and they are trying to experiment and on the atom at certain time when certain uh, certain heat or certain uh, forces when it applied it it splits in exactly 145 degree angle which is very unusual like so they have tried and the only way to prove it because this could be in fluke right so only way to prove it is try exactly same thing and come out exactly the same way which is one in a one trillionth possibility it can happen and it did happen so they are now saying that this could be the X17 factor, which is the element of connecting the normal knowledge with the fifth force, which has never been known to the physics. So we all know the science is limited. And is there any other way to prove it other than, you know, we, we talk and definitely it makes sense on certain parts, but do we have any other way to prove this beyond science? I'll tell you what. Jainism is very good at front-running science, and science is very good at confirming the truths of Jainism. And I'll tell you what I know about. That is, we understand things like, there is now the belief that there is actually a finite unit of time called the Planck time. Mm -hmm. And that time is not analog, and time is digital because there is a finite unit, just like there's a finite unit of light called a photon. And Jainism has predicted that because Jainism does predict that there is only, um, I forget the name, it's in, it's in the book, um, that time can be subdivided and there is one unit of time. So that science is, confirmed, is confirming Jainism there. There is another, um, there is effort made to think about consciousness in a different way in science. That is confirming Jainism. That is... People used to think that consciousness might be something that is just um, happens, just appears when you have a bunch enough neurons together. But that can't be right because what is the number, right? There's no certain number where you get under that number, you have no conscious, and over that number, well, now you're complex enough to have consciousness. So now people are now thinking that consciousness is on a sliding scale. And that confirms everything we know about Jainism, everything that we've been told. Um, you know, whether they are, whether we're going to have enough to come to the conclusion that air has consciousness is an open story. But now we're, we're thinking about consciousness differently. And, you know, with this unconfined, you know what, I had a thought about this uh, quantum theory where multiple things can be true until the waveform collapses, at which point only one of them um, is true. Um, so I thought there was a nice analogy there. But yes, uh, there, science has been confirming Jainism right and left with a better than 50% accuracy. <laughs> I have a simple example on that, uh, that front. I, I always, as a child, I was told to uh, save water, conserve water. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, even knew that Sadhu Sadhu uses like a less than a bucket or a minimum amount of water needed to, to take shower and things like that. And, you know, we are all like, okay, it's just not intuitive to us. Now that right. we understand, but as a child, it was never. And like, okay, you spill as much water as you can, it's fun and things like that. Yesterday, I was watching TV, 
uh, Indian television and one of the things that said is one of the actors came in and said you know what I only use one bucket of water because EquaGuard and there was a it's a campaign going on in India right now because of water right so this is something that was said years ago and it's a very simple example but this was like as a childhood I remember that you know minimize water save water this has been going on so long to a point that sometimes you feel that they don't need to take enough shower or something like that mm-hmm. and now here we are we're, we're, we're hearing in a and a, a media, uh, same thing, whether it's fasting, whether it's saving water, uh, not using vehicles needed, minimizing pollution, those things are there. And I, I mean, obviously, you wonder how the science was there years ago when they mandated Sadhu Sadhus not to use vehicles, which sometimes seems as a hindrance, but uh, it just seems like more and more things were somehow, without science, was, was kind of captured in our books. Uh, and now, somehow, science is proving after what decade? I mean, several decades. Right. Uh, so it's 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 interesting, and and this is more complex things. I think you talked about in common that things like that, but these are simple things that has been foreseen. You're right, and if you want to go back in time, another thing that's been confirmed, right, is science didn't always know that. Um, matter was conserved in the universe, and energy was conserved. That is, you can't destroy. Uh, matter and you can't you can only transform it if you destroy you transform it to energy so matter and energy um, the the amount is conserved and Jainism has been saying that for for since well before that was dis- discovered as a principle in science that is these six substances are eternal and that they only have um, attributes that you can change so when I talk about uh, using as a filter to determine if to be open for something this is what I'm talking about so there's this kind of filter of seven predications or saptabhanga <clears throat> and the book uses an example you start with the let's say somebody approaches you and says it is a sin to commit violence okay that is the statement that we're going to run through these seven filters and the seven are asti nasti asti nasti Avaktavya, Asti Avaktavya, Nasti Avaktavya, and Asti Nasti Avaktavya. Those are the seven. Okay, so the first one, Asti, is that we're taking this uh, statement, it is a sin to commit violence. Okay, the first filter is, well, it's a sin to commit violence with the intention to commit the same. That is, if I do it unknowingly, there's a difference between if I do it unknowingly and unknowingly. The second one, it is not a sin to commit violence on an aggressor who molests an innocent and helpless woman. So that's a kind of a self-defense argument. The third one is, it is a sin to commit violence in breach of moral and social laws, but it is not a sin if violence is required to be committed in performance of moral or social duties. So that's a justification for war, right? Um, The fourth one, It is not possible to say whether violence is a sin or virtue without knowing the circumstances under which is required to be committed. So that's like a combination of the last three. Well, well, if we have these exceptions now, well, now our new conclusion is that it's not possible unless we know what circumstances we're in. Therefore, this is not necessarily true, this statement, it is a sin to commit violence. Well, not necessarily true. Uh, The fifth one. Violence is sinful under certain circumstances, but no positive statement of this type can be made for all times and under all circumstances. So if you're a fan of math, you know this is a kind of proof idea that we're talking about. about we're talking about whether something can be proven or cannot be proven. We're starting to head in that territory. The sixth one, violence is not indeed sinful under circumstances but no positive statement of this type can be made for all times and under all circumstances we just had added a not there so the fifth one is violence is sinful under circumstances blah 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 this one is violence is not sinful under certain circumstances and then the rest and then so the last one violence is sinful but there are circumstances where it is not so In fact, no statement in affirmation or negation, which are the previous two, can be made for all times and all circumstances. So now we see that a seemingly simple idea, it is a sin to commit violence, 
when you run it through these things and you talk about the anikantvad, right? It it doesn't seem like well, doesn't seem like that should be arguable, right? Um, but if we think about things through the perspective of everything that I told you just now, you do find that um, there are multiple viewpoints on this seemingly innocent topic, right? And so that's the kind of um, mindset we should have when we are provided or presented with new information. We have to think about everything we know, everything we learned about Jainism, including the five causal factors, and determine whether something is right or wrong. And we have to remember there are no facts and there's no objectivity. So now you know what kind of burden we're dealing with, what kind of mountain we have to climb. Okay, so limited tools that we have, right? We don't have very many. We have no facts, no objectivity. we only relying on subjectivity, our limited perceptions. We know certain things to be true. We know we have certain things to take on faith. We know there are five causal factors. And now you give me this piece of information and I have to run it through this matrix or cube or prism. And I have to determine if I have to change my life based on this information that you gave me. Very difficult. So now you start understanding why we are blind and how we could be a blind man. You know, it's easy. When you learn in science, you know, you learn there are, the math uh, can accommodate for more than one dimension, right? And you learn, well, how can there be, let me think about another dimension. I can't think about uh, something in five dimensions. And you look it up online and you see like a cube and it's rotating, right? And it's rotating and you're like, yeah, so this is the shadow of the cube in four dimensions, and obviously you're looking at it on a computer screen, which is two dimensions. It's easy to see that to go from three to two, right? It's easy for us to see that, but it's hard to think that, okay, well, I'm the two-dimensional creature, and now I have to try to predict three dimensions, but really I'm a three-dimensional because I'm trying to predict in four. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand how it is that we could be blind. So I'm telling you how you're blind and how it is that despite everything around you seeming entirely clear, how it is that you could be blind. And this is how it is that you could be blind because of all these things that I, we just mentioned. So questions on that? Is there, <laughs> is there a concept of overthinking in Jainism? Concept of overthinking? <clears throat> I don't think so. Because usually when we say that word, we're talking about some... You overthought because you missed the time to act. You were thinking when it was time to act, right? But here we have to determine that, well, how should we act going forward? How can we perform nirjura? You know, how can we perform somber? And we have to think about all these things. Maybe if you took too much time to decide and you wasted your life... Uh, you wasted the life that you could have been doing performing nirjara and you just took too much time to think about whether you should start or not I think that that would be overthinking it yeah I think that's right uh, if you wasted this life if you wasted the preciousness of this life because you were too busy deciding whether to believe this or not then you overthought it <laughs> are you thinking from perspective that there's so much different views, different angles, and to process everything, it takes a while before you can make the decision, whether it's just as simple as whether it's mm -hmm. a violence or not. Right. So is, is that the view, right? Yeah, that that's it a could good be... concept. You know? I mean, while, while you were giving the example of a sin of violence, I was just thinking back to when our kids ask us questions that mm -hmm. are in the gray zone, mm -hmm. I think most of us always answer with yes and no, comma, depends. Right. And we give based on circumstance. Right. And I feel like that's all based on our prior experiences that we've had as, as our own mm. life experiences. And maybe, Bhavan, to answer my perspective on your answer, um, you know, you try to prove as, as much as you can scientifically, but the other 50%, as Demir was saying, is based on experience, right? Just like scientific studies, we don't have evidence-based medicine on everything. A lot of it is colloquial experience on things that we've done for hundreds of years. True. Maybe half of Jainism is based on experience, and that could be the only explanation. So then my question is, how many, how many misses 
do we have between um, incongruence, uh, Jane principles, and scientific reasoning? Can you think of some examples? I can think of a couple. Okay, hit me. Um, the hygienic thing. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps a limited amount of scientific knowledge 2,000 years ago. You know, hygienic practices for women going through menstruation mm -hmm. may have been a reason to seclude them from society, mm -hmm. but we have much better hygienic control issue, I mean, you know, parameters now, um, should that thought change? Mm -hmm. Is that rooted on 2,000 years of old knowledge or is it based on current knowledge? Right, so here's what I would tell you. We have to make a difference between what there, there are different types of knowledge and how we got that knowledge through Jainism, right? So the story goes that Mahavir Swami founded the Fourfold Order and he delivered sermons and that is how we know about these things. And then um, those were written down. Mm -hmm. And then, so then we started, the sung started. And obviously the sung has to make up rules that has nothing to do with Jainism, like where the trailers go or whatever, right? So now, which is this more like? Is this more like something that came out of the mouth of a Tirthankar? Or is this more like one of the things that they one of the day-to-day -day practices that we had to set up and then I think if it's more like the latter then you're right that's what it sounds like yeah it sounds like it's I, I've never heard of Mahavirswami saying these things and I just think that it sounds like something like um, that was set up um, in order to uh, in order to um, something like the day-to-day -day operations of how the Jain Center should be run at the time, right? So it doesn't sound like Jainism. And the hard part is answering, well, which knowledge is which knowledge on that spectrum, right? And it was not just Jainism, it's all throughout India, all the even Hindu <coughs> religions, you know, even they have the similar practices. Right. There has been uh, so much of controversy lately, right? Uh, sure. At that uh, Sabrimala temple, mm -hmm. that women were not between certain ages, 10 to 50, right. are not allowed. Right. Now, where is that coming from? I mean, where did uh, when did they come up with that kind of thing? You know, some temples they are allowed, some they are not allowed. So, and I think that's the thing that Anikantvad was designed to address. It's designed to allow us to change, right? That is, if you run if you run a proposition through this prism, and you talk about causal factors, and you talk about the history, and you talk about things like that, then we can change those things based on theory of Anikatva. So what other misses between Jainism and science? How about the boiling or rooted vegetables mm -hmm. or I mean there's so many things that you know these are all practice related issues so I don't right. know if it's like you're saying ingrained in the day-to-day -day dealings <clears throat> or is it a, a teaching issue but so boiling water. So we boil water in order not to kill. We kill water. We kill organisms in the water when we boil it, but we kill less because as the water stands, it multiplies the organisms inside, and then we kill all those when we drink it. Right. So how is that not? Do you think that science is, uh, says something different? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tell me. I uh, for organisms to multiply, whether they're within. Boiled water and unboiled water doesn't make a difference. Okay. It's a, you know, um, but the practice of boiling and going through all that that rigmarole, I don't think has that much benefit. Okay. To reducing microorganisms' lifespan doesn't make much of a difference. And that you think it's because of time? Because now. Uh... Is it is the thought that now microorganisms don't multiply as fast in water, whereas before it was? Well... Or do you think that's just bad science? Let's say the less resistant microorganisms die mm -hmm. after boiling, but the more resistant ones can multiply faster. I see. Let's make that argument. Right. So, is the end result any different? Hmm. Um... Uh, just as an example. Right. Uh, and that's true for medicine too, right? Mm -hmm. You kill off the lesser, easier bacteria for the more resistant ones to grow. Mm -hmm. 
same kind of concept for boiling pre and post water. Right. Um, and then the whole thing about rooted vegetables. Um, explain the, the reasoning again, because I'm still not... The reason we don't eat root vegetables is because multiple souls appear in them rather than one soul. That is, they are a body containing multiple souls. So, I'm not sure that science is going to help you there um, unless we can talk about some kind of distinctions between root vegetables and other vegetables. Also, when we pull the vegetable out of soil, I mean, there are other organisms, right? Living beings in that uh, soil too, so we disturb that too. Right. I think the I all, agree with you. Yeah, so I think all the practices of Jainism are based on that sing, a single fundamental principle of ahimsa. Right. Now that ahimsa cannot be absolute. We can't have absolute non uh, non violence. There is as we live, you know, we'll, there's going to be some violence that we'll commit for our daily activities. The mm-hmm. point is, how can we minimize it? So, so if we grow it. carrots and tomato or potatoes without any rooted, you know, means, would that be acceptable? No, so if, you, if, if the question is, like, if we hydroponically grow them, yes. well, that's, it's, it's the same, because it is in that vegetable that is multiple souls are appearing, as opposed to, let's say, an apple. Because the apple is the fruit of a tree, and it's the tree that's alive, and the apple is, um, it's not the entire body that we kill, right? Because the tree is still alive. Where it's just different for a potato because that's the entire plant, right? So, uh, as opposed to the boiling example, we're not going to get anywhere there because we don't know, you know, science is not even proving any, uh, any soul exists or not, right? But with the boiling uh, water example, um, I can't help you there. Anybody, anybody else? I think after the boiling, after boiling the water, you have to consume it within a certain 48 minutes, 48 minutes right? I, I think it's more than that, but yeah, it is like for example in daytime you have to do it three times at least to to, mm-hmm. to cover the whole day. Mm-hmm. So you, you have uh, kaal, uh, mm-hmm. every water has a kaal. So yeah, I think that that's a good point uh, in terms of uh, making sure that it doesn't. If you give enough time, yes, mm-hmm. anything like your, to your point, mm-hmm. can it can develop the multiply the the resisting microorganisms and then you have the same thing. Right. That's why it's the kaal. Uh, that's you have to consume it within. The other thing I, I can think of, and you know, it's again, I, I go back to this uh, uh, current example of even doctors are telling nowadays in India, because of dengue and everything, it says boil the water. Right. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, everybody have EcoGuard in their houses. Why would you uh, do it uh, along with that? Mm-hmm. Is there some benefit or is it just a, a better feel for yourself and just being more recognition? I don't know. But I'm just, it is right now, it's like, okay, we boil water to be more careful as dengue and dengue is a mosquito base and still people boil the water so things of that nature i i don't know but one thing i at least you asked earlier is that time wise meaning now we know more than we used to so and, should we adjust to and, and back in those days you know more uh, just all the disease or things like that were spreading to water because people probably took shower in the same river and or the lake and uh, put their, their animals in the same lake and now nobody's watching over the quality of the water was that the reason and now we should change our mindset and say okay it's okay or we should continue it's it's one of the hard things to uh, yeah I mean like 15 20 years ago we didn't have filters that would filter viruses now we do yeah. so you don't need to boil the water to be able to filter out viruses as an example we just don't have the capacity in India to mass produce those types of filters they're expensive but you don't have to necessarily boil. It's a low-cost way of doing it. But what I'm saying is, you know, science can be a little... Uh, the principles that, that are discussed can be a little bit outdated as well. I agree. And, and if new light, like antimatter and things like that, come into play, maybe we should adjust a little bit according to that new data that we have. I think that we should because I think that... One, it forces you to examine why you do certain things. Why did you do the old way in the first place? Not a lot of people know. You should know why you do things. Um, you should lead an examined life. And if, and if science changes such that we're going to get less karma by not boiling water, whereas before we got less karma by boiling water, right? Because that's why we did it. 
well, if circumstances change, now we're getting less karma by not boiling water, then our attitude should change, right? Because that's the goal. Because we examine why we're doing it, and we want to maintain, we want to be true to why we're doing it. So I do think that in the face of new evidence, we should change. Yeah, in, in general, I'm sympathetic with that idea. One of the arguments I have, and I'm struggling with right now with vegan things, and uh, for example, if you stay on the water example, I have a whole, pretty much everybody probably have a whole house water filter, right? So everything goes to resin and things like that. Now, the struggle I have with all these new technology and new things, are we harming ourselves? And I'm talking about bo body, not the soul here. Okay. Is by, by consuming these things, which is more processed, the resin that it goes through. Mm -hmm. how, how, how good it is versus just simply using a carbon filter and not, uh, you know, it took so much to produce that resin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, you know, the, so greed in the society is growing so much that everybody wants to be a, a millionaire so quickly. So the resin producer is doing things probably that is attaching to my, for, for my body, it's attaching to my own soul. Because now I have purchased that and I, I guess somehow I, I take ownership of it. Uh, same as I'm in the vegan side, right? I mean, plant-based food we're talking about and things like that. By going more, is it, is it more, sounds more plant-based, but is it more natural really? Mm -hmm. Or is it more processed mm -hmm. that we are getting these chemicals within our body and not only uh, taking into our body, but into our soul as well? Mm -hmm. it's, the, uh, it's the challenge. Right. It's definitely a challenge. And it's not necessarily the result that... I'm interested in it's the fact that we are examining our lives in this way and we should be and we should be making our decisions on how to lead our life based on the results of that examination and that is the theory of Anikantva is that theory of examination and you change where you want to change or if you run it through this theory and you say no that's wrong then that's wrong and you don't change your life and it's the fact that we're doing that that is good and gives me hope well, that's all our time for today. Thank you very much for coming this week. No class next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.